How many of you have ever met anyone that was overconfident? Huh? Yeah? Don't point at anybody. Uh, maybe it's a college student that thinks they know more than anyone. Maybe it's a wealthy woman who thinks she's better than everyone. Maybe it was that kid when you think back in school that was the, just tiny, but he was always picking fights with the biggest guy in the class. That was me, right? I was young and stupid back then, but I had a motto. It was strike first, no mercy. It's like Cobra Kai, right? It worked about half the time. We won't talk about the other times. But Vikram said this. He said, confidence, it's the food of the wise man, but the liquor of the fools. And confidence is a double-edged sword. There's some recent research that has proven this to be true. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect that shows that the lower someone's competence, the higher their confidence. And they overestimate their skills. We've probably had this at some point with a manager that was cocky even though they weren't very good at their job. See, confidence in and of itself isn't bad. It's what you place your confidence in that's the problem. Confidence is a state of or a feeling of being certain about something being true. But the problem is, in a world of anxiety, culture seems to be willing to follow anyone that has confidence. Just say whatever you want, as long as you say it with bravado, as long as you say it loudly, people are willing to follow you, even when they aren't leading with the truth. Did you know that the average American swallows eight spiders a year, mostly while they're sleeping? That's gross, right? That's gross. It would be gross if it was true. It's not true. Scientific America tells us that a sleeping human would be terrifying for a spider. Their whole survival instinct is to use vibration to stay away from things. And a spider's not going to jump into a mouth of a man that's sawing logs. But say that fact with confidence and it becomes an urban myth. See, the phenomenon in the culture is that we will believe anyone that says something with confidence. And if we're not careful, we'll follow down things that are not true because someone yelled it at us. There's this thing you might have seen or heard of called the Mandela Effect. Anybody ever heard of that before? It's where people are confident and adamant that certain things are true. But when we look back in, on history, they didn't actually happen. And it gains its name from the shared memory uh, that Nelson Mandela died in prison in the 1980s, when in fact he died in 2013. People say they know that these facts are true and are more confident that history has changed somehow by some phenomenon than that they are mistaken. So we'll do a little test here. Maybe you can see if uh, you've experienced the Mandela effect. We'll throw that first picture up there, Noah. This is Curious George, the most curious little monkey. Tail or no tail? You're right. No tail. Good job. Yeah. All right, throw that next one up there. Oscar Meyer with an E or Mayer 
with an A. It's actually A. I heard some E's that time. How about this? Fruit of the loom, cornucopia or no cornucopia? I hear all types of answers this time. No cornucopia. How about this next one? It's pretty hard. Flynn stones or flint stones with a T? That one is actually no T. It is flint stones, which I think doesn't make any sense. They're in the Stone Age. It should be flint stones, but it's not. It's flint stones. Maybe history changed by some way. Back when you were a kid, it was probably flint stones, right? How about this last one? Uh, Darth Vader says this to his son. What does he say? No, he actually never says, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. Here's the last one. Kit Kat, hyphen or no hyphen? I actually didn't write down the answer here, so you don't have to figure it out. <laughs> I don't remember either, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's hyphen, right? Someone Google it real quick. <laughs> but here's the thing. Look, people swear that their memory is right. And I used to get in fist fight arguments with people over things like this before there was the internet and you could just look it up, right? But there's this part of us that wants to believe that our brain is right more than anyone else. And they were tempted sometimes to think about seeing these things. And there's much more. You can look them up on the internet. Mandela effect things where it's like, man, is this true or is this not? Have you ever had the experience where you couldn't remember whether someone had a mustache or not, right? Or, or, or what color their eyes were? And you could get in uh, an argument, but our mind is not as trustworthy as we thought it was. And I think we could all agree that sometimes we are overconfident with the integrity of our own minds and the certainty with which we hold our ideas. Every husband has told their wives that we are certain that we didn't take the remote upstairs. <laughs> and lo and behold, that's where it was. Confidence can be dangerous or helpful depending on what that confidence is placed in. Proverbs 19 calls passion and enthusiasm, and zeal, and confidence without knowledge, not good, and says that being swift and hasty in decisions will cause us to make mistakes. The sons of Korah say it even more plainly in Psalms 49. It says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast, Selah, which means stop and think says, like sheep that are appointed for Sheol, that means death, the place of the dead, like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd, and upright shall, uh, the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. This is the path, it says, of someone that has foolish confidence. And that's the picture here, is of a fool confidently following their foolish ideas while being led by a shepherd called death. And destruction is at the end of this. We are prone to wander and trust ourselves and our crowd 
And we are confident that we are right, but in the end, we feel the pain of misplaced confidence. In a moment, Adam and Eve were confident that God was wrong about the fruit, and they found out quickly that they didn't know more than God. Cain was overconfident that his sacrifice was good enough, even though he knew it wasn't what God wanted. Pharaoh was overconfident in his power, and he thought he could go toe-to-toe with God and keep Israel in captivity, but he couldn't. Samson was overconfident in his strength, and that's what made him weak. King Saul was overconfident that he could just do the priestly duties. Surely the king can do whatever he wants, even though God told him not to. Jonah was overconfident in his ability to run and hide from God. Didn't work. Peter was overconfident in who he was before the cross, and he put himself in the front, and he trusted his strength, and he declared that he would never betray Christ, and he would die for him. And it ended, though, with him denying Christ. Ananias and Sapphira were overconfident in their plan to make everyone think that they were super spiritual, even though that they had lied, and that didn't end well. Misplaced confidence is dangerous. Another way to say this is in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before the fall. Also says it in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. Look out. You might be thinking everything is going great, but if you're living a life and making decisions apart from God, you are overconfident in your abilities, and it will hurt when you finally realize it. Proverbs 12, 15 tells us the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. See, don't believe everything you think. We put way too much emphasis on what we think is right. You might just need less confidence in your ideas. Of course, your ideas are going to seem like the best to you. They're your ideas. But what if you're wrong? Instead, trust in the unchanging and steadfast words of God in context, compared with other scriptures, so to be sure that you aren't twisting them. And admit what you don't know, and that you could be wrong, and that maybe you aren't the only one that has the right ideas. Instead, be honest and be curious and try listening. The book of Revelation was written to seven real churches. And each of them had different things that John was told by God to tell them. Things that they needed to work on and change. And the last church was a church called Laodicea. This was in a wealthy area and full of industry and in a country called Phrygia, which is in modern Turkey. In the other six churches, God had good things to say about that church, as well as challenging them to do better in certain areas. But that was not true of Laodicea. The message was that they were apathetic and lukewarm and that it made God sick. The church had thought everything was going good. They were comfortable. They had everything that they could need. In fact, they were so comfortable that they were pretty confident that they were going to be fine. And this is what God had to say to them in Revelation 3.17. Because you say, 
I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This this church was rich and they had everything that they needed and they had all the best stuff and things was going pretty well, but uh, God tells them, hey, you're not who you think you are. You're overconfident in your ability. And just like the overconfident kid in the schoolyard that picks a fight with the biggest kid because in his mind, when he looks in the mirror, he's big and strong. This church, Laodicea Baptist Church, was actually scrawny and weak spiritually. And Christ goes on to plead with this church to instead put their trust in him for the right kind of wealth and the right kind of clothing. The spiritual kind that can only come from him. Verse 18 goes on and says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and shame your nakedness that it may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. God's telling them, hey, you have all this stuff, but all of it is temporary. Instead, get what you need from me. Their gold had no eternal wealth and their riches were empty. They would not last. And in the next verse, he reminds them that he wants them to trust him. And that he's standing at the door knocking as if outside the church. Imagine that this morning at Jesus knocking on these big wooden doors right over here saying, hey, let me in. But the church of Laodicea was content to do things without him. The church of Laodicea thought that they could operate without Christ. They believed that they were fine. They had jobs and they had houses and friends. And, you know, maybe the church was growing and they had all these programs and and everything was good. And they didn't even know Jesus was outside the door. This life of comfort would lead to their own destruction. And they needed to repent and remember where their strength actually comes from. Instead of trusting in ourselves and our ways and our intelligence and our wealth and our comfort, we should be like the psalmist in Psalms 20 verse 7 when it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's not in military might or riches or in our own strategies and plans or our good deeds or reputation that will keep us on the path to righteousness, purpose, and joy. All of our own ways and following all our own tribe apart from God is just following a flock of fools being led by the shepherd of death. Remember, our minds are fickle and our memories and thoughts are shaky. And our confidence in ourselves is misplaced. No, instead we put our faith and trust in the Lord and not our own understanding. Putting all our plans under His authority and letting Him direct our path. And it's okay to say, God, I don't understand this. God, it seems like this might be a better way to do it. But ultimately understanding that He is good and He is in control. Being confident that the one that saved us and forgave us will keep working on us until he makes us 
who he wants us to be. To those that follow Christ, he is our sword and our shield, and we can put our confidence in him no matter what we face. The battle belongs to him. Don't get cocky. Don't get overconfident. Remember that you are just dust that God breathed into, but then you sinned, but God made a way to forgive you of all your sin and save you. It's all because of him. Trusting God might mean you do some drastic and crazy things by the world's standards. David fighting Goliath doesn't make sense. Peter walking on water doesn't make sense. Unwrapping dead Lazarus after three days doesn't make sense. He's in the grave. He stinks. I'm not pulling him back out. Leave him behind your livelihood and following Jesus doesn't make sense. And God might be calling you to some things that don't make sense, but don't trust your way. Don't trust your abilities and your thoughts. God may have better things for you that don't make sense to you. Parents, maybe that means you don't put sports and school before church and youth group. Other parents might think you're crazy, but maybe that's what God wants for your kids. Dad and mom, you may be absolutely confident that taking this promotion is the right thing for your career, but maybe that's not what God wants. Maybe God wants you to be more present at home and rest more and to have the time to serve others. Money isn't evil, but pursuing it before God is. Women, maybe you're confident that if you don't marry this loser, then no one else will ever ask. And if you already did that, I don't want to know about it. You might be confident that if you don't do this, you're going to be alone. But hey, who are you going to trust here? And if God's plan is that you're never married, that doesn't mean you are alone. Understand that he is good and he is in control and he will take care of you. Men, that goes for you too. Maybe you're confident that if you help this person that's needy or an addict, that it's not worth it because they're just going to go right back to their way. But your confidence in your experience shows a lack of confidence in God's changing power. Friend, you may be confident that you have it all figured out, but God's ways are higher than our ways. You may even be here today and say that you're not confident maybe even God really exists. You may have just came because your spouse did or your friends badgered you. First, you should know this, that your belief in God or lack thereof doesn't actually change him one bit. And we also need to understand and admit that if all knowledge that could be known was a vast ocean, science, math, history, not to mention all that has yet to be discovered, then even the most smart and intelligent of us maybe knows a thimble full of knowledge. We don't know everywhere near all there is to know in that vast ocean. So if you hear someone say, or maybe you even say, that I just don't know that there's a God, couldn't you admit the possibility that maybe he remains in that vast ocean that you haven't yet discovered? And what if everything that didn't just spontaneously construct itself? And what if there really was a maker that formed and fashioned you just like you are? 
And that he gave you a mind and a body and a soul and emotions and the ability to love and to find things funny and to appreciate beauty. I dare you to investigate that with an open heart, willing to take whatever conclusion comes your way. Because society today and, and us as a culture is so confident that we've got it all figured out. But start at the proof of the resurrection and work your way out from there. We're also so confident that we think we know everybody, right? We think we know what they're thinking. Have you ever done that, right? Where like they just gave you a look and then you made this whole big long story in your head about how they hate you and might even want to kill you in your sleep. And you talk to that person and you say, and they say, hey, oh man, sorry, I was just distracted. I wasn't even looking at you. I was thinking about something else. And we come up with these big stories and we think we know everybody. We've got it all figured out and we even begin to cut people out of our lives because of what we think they did or what we think they believe. Now we want other people to give us the benefit of the doubt that we're not actually serial killers. And we want people to ask questions and be curious about me, but we're confident in our judgments of them. And we're confident in those judgments and we run from people and we throw stones at them and we put little faith in God that he can change people or change our minds. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. God resists the proud, but he lifts up the humble. So be confident, be bold, but in the Lord. See, the Bible says that the righteous can be bold as lions, not because of their own strength, but because God is their God. Let us humble ourselves before the one that is worth our confidence. You ever remember that cocky kid maybe in school who struck out in the big game, maybe missed the big shot or got intercepted in the championship game and their confidence was just bruised, right? That's spiritually what I hope for us. That instead of placing our faith in our judgments and our strengths or our political party or our cultural tribe, and we think we've got it all figured out so much so that we've figured everybody else out too. And we can tell by looking at them that because they do this or because they look like this that we know what's going on in their head. That instead of putting faith in our judgments, that instead we put our confidence in God alone, and we realize that we are fickle, we can't even remember whether Curious George has a tail, let alone what someone else is thinking or deciding in their own minds, and instead to follow the path of Jesus that led him to people and places that the world thought was worthless. The Pharisees had the tax collectors all figured out. The Pharisees knew that that prostitute, that harlot, she's not going anywhere. She'll never change. But Jesus ran to those people. That leper, nothing can happen. I'm not going to touch them. Nothing can happen there. I've got it figured out. God, knock us down a peg when we think that we can live and act and work without you. 
Help us instead to put our faith in you and you alone, not our wealth, and that we go through our days never thinking, never bowing our knee, never bowing our head in prayer or searching the scripture. Knock us down a peg that we need you in every circumstance every day, or else we will mess it all up. Help us not to put our faith in our spirituality and that we've arrived and that we are in the position now to look down on other people's and and say where their faith is. Help us to be humble. In closing here, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. There's Bibles in front of your pews. We purposely didn't put it up here. If you got your phone, that's okay too. Luke 18, verse 9. That's in the New Testament. In the very beginning, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. Those are, and John are known as the Gospels, telling the life of Jesus Christ in four different perspectives. So Luke, someone shout out what page number it's on. Luke chapter 18. What is it now? 1042? Page 1042. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is Jesus here telling this parable. And they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed. I wonder why it said he was standing by himself, right? Separated from everybody else. He prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He pointed to the dude. To this one. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble. I hope that's not where you're standing on the edge of right now. Because it doesn't sound fun to be humbled. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee thought a lot of himself. God was lucky to have him. God, man, I'm so much better than this guy. But the tax collector understood who he really was. And only one of those men was righteous, and it wasn't the proud, overconfident Pharisee. Confidence. It's the food of the wise man, but the liquor of the fools. And sometimes we're so confident that we've got things under control. But God, help us to place our identity and our confidence all in you. God, help us to be desperate for you and your power in our lives every day. Help us not to misplace our confidence. Let us not feel like we've got all the answers and that there's no way that we could be wrong. Help us to be humble and curious and to ask questions of other people and to listen to stories and to run towards those people the world has made their mind up of. Help us not to judge people 
from afar by demonizing them and refusing to give people the benefit of the doubt instead of showing them the love of Christ. Let us not be like the church of Laodicea. Help us to see that we aren't fine on our own. We need you. That's my prayer for us today, that God would humble us in this moment and all these judgments that we've made that we think we've got all figured out and our trust in our mind and our morals and our ways that we look at the world, our worldview and our cultural understanding of things, that we instead put all that to the side and be like Jesus, be hopeful, to trust His Word, even when it goes against culture, even when it says things that don't make sense in our mind. God, help us. I know. I know. It's hard to understand. I swear I've tried to turn that thing off like 20 times. That's how uh, untrustworthy my mind is. I can't figure it out. How many of you say that today, right? I'm not sure I understand God. That's a good place to be. I'm not sure I understand, but I'm going to do it anyway. Amen? The band's going to come. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We make mistakes. We're wrong. Whenever we look at somebody else and say, this, 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 and this. You've got your boss figured out. You've got your coworkers figured out. Your husband always does this. Every, you know what's going to happen. Instead, have hope. Because being cynical and skeptical is what separates you from people. So let's ask God in this moment. We're going to go into a time of prayer. Let's ask, ask God right now to humble us before his mighty hand. And as we pray, call out to him in this moment to let him know that you recognize that he is the one that is in charge and that you're confident in him, not your own thoughts, not your ideas. Maybe you're even feel led to come down to the altar today and as an act of humility not to be seen of other people or to show off like the Pharisee but to humbly say to God I bow before you as a symbol of submission to his way and not your own God shake our confidence in ourselves help us to place our confidence in him let's pray
as we continue in this attitude of prayer and continue to talk to God. I want to speak to those in the room that might be that skeptic or that person that's not sure about all this or hasn't yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. See, we got a problem. Our problem is sin. We fail, we make mistakes, and we hurt people around us. That started all the way back at the beginning with Adam and Eve. God gave us a free will. And because of that free will, over and over again, we've chosen our way over God's way. And that separates us from a holy God. Everything was great in the garden, and then sin rushed in and brought death and disease and pain and striving. And every evil and wicked thing in this world, you can trace back to that moment. Ever since then, we've chose our way over his way over and over and over again. Say those words or do this action or hurt this person or lash out in revenge. Because of that, we're separated from a holy God. The story of the first half of the Bible is God giving people an opportunity to have a fellowship with Him and to be in His presence and then never being able to keep their eyes on Him and choose His way. And instead, they chose idols and, and hurting people and evil. Well, then 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh came and walked in this earth. Jesus, an equal part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he lived this life for 33 years. And he taught, and he did miracles, and he proved that he was the Messiah. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And then he laid down his life on a cross and died in our place. That's what we celebrate. In this Easter season coming up, on Good Friday, we celebrate his death, and it was good because it was for us. But then, on the third day, he rose again from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. He broke the chains of sin and death forever. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not church membership, it's not baptism, it's not doing good deeds, praying every day. It is a decision in your heart to put all your faith and trust in only what Jesus did on the cross to save you. Not any good works, not any accomplishments. So that means no matter how far away you are from God, we are all in the same place. We all have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to get to God. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus in our place, that is the gospel. There is no other way but through Jesus. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you could call out to God in this moment right now. 
The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's putting all of your faith and trust in only what Jesus did on the cross to save you. Remember that confidence we had in ourselves. We put that to the side and we put all our faith and trust and confidence in Jesus. You could call out to him with something like this. Words aren't important. You insert whatever you cry from your heart. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. I don't have the answers, but I know you do. I put my faith in what you did on the cross alone to save me. Turning from everything I've held on to, I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice once and for all, that's the biggest thing you could ever do in your whole entire life, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross alone. Jesus in my place. I'd love to be able to talk through what you did, or Pastor Scott or I or Pastor Josh would love to be able to walk you through that. If you want to put that on your connection card before you hand it in later, just write, I chose Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about what's next because this isn't the end of something. It's the beginning of a whole new life. The Bible says that we're new creatures. And there's so much more for you to experience in Christ. It's the most wonderful and amazing thing ever. Let's stand. We'll pray. And then we'll sing. We'll lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And all while we're singing, remind God that your confidence is not in yourself, but your confidence is in him. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would humble us in this moment. Help us not to run from you and put all our faith in ourselves so that you humble us with the consequences of our sin. God, help us to humble ourselves now and help us to admit that we can't make it through the day without you. We can't make it through this moment without messing it up. God, we need you right now. Help us not to be like the church of Laodicea that was dead and didn't even know it. God, help us not to put our faith in the things that we think are good, God, but let us chase after your heart. God, I pray as we sing that you would be pleased and honored. God, help us to lift up your voice from our heart. In your name we pray.